This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Marine Corps has come a long way towards rationalizing its IT holdings into a consolidated enterprise network. And that's a major precursor to moving to the cloud. And to start making those migrations at scale, the service is creating a new task force structure to guide things along and remove barriers. For more, Federal News Network's Jared Serbu recently spoke with the Marine Corps' Assistant Director for C4I and Chief Information Security Officer, Renata Spinks. Everything in the Marine Corps happens by lieutenant colonels, colonels, lance corporals, majors, captains, you name it. They are empowered to problem solve. You hear a lot about task forces because this is a warfighting institution, right? So the task force approach came from how do we empower, you know, boots on the ground, those who are closest to the network, those who know the network best, empower them to make decisions, but still provide guidance, leadership, and like you said, someone to remove blockers. In the military, no one's um, no one is uh, unfamiliar with you know, this person outranks that person. And so you're very hierarchical, very driven by um, that hierarchy of authority. So, of course, we stood up a task force. It was the ideas. uh, It was the idea of a couple majors um, from an agile approach. And they were just sick and tired of telling leaders how slow and how long things took. So you pull a task task force team together right now. uh, We started out with Task Force Phoenix. Now there is Task Force Network Modernization. So that's the task force that's getting after what we call NetMod. So task force NetMod has task groups up under it. One is the DMXN, deployed mixin, those services that I talked talk to you about earlier in a degraded environment. The second one is cloud enterprise. That's what we're talking about. There's another task group. Um, continual service improvement will be one of them because we want to take a look at how the task force is doing and what are those areas that we have to improve. And another high priority in parallel to all of those task groups is talent management and how we can use an automated approach to manage our talent, um, recruit, retain, um, retrain, manage our civilian and active duty workforce as well as our reserves um, and put those opportunities. So those task groups that I just named you are are the top five task groups with a task force led by the three-star general um, who's delegated that authority to General Matos, who's the director of C4. I'm his assistant. Um, And we have a colonel and a lieutenant colonel who's going to be, you know, driving and pushing. But the authority is within those task groups, and, and those are led by majors and captains. And what has that structure allowed you to do, or even migrations that predate that structure? Can you talk a bit about some of the successes that you've had so far in actually completing migrations to the cloud? Office 365 is obviously a big one, but feel free to add any other examples here, too. So um, I think the, the success story there is pace. Pace and transparency. Um, lots of decision making occurs within other divisions and other areas of the Marine Corps that's affected by the services we provide within IT, that infrastructure, that platform um, and the security piece. And everyone has a mission, installation and logistics. They have a mission, but they still need to consume services. They have to still be a part of our transition to the cloud because they're application owners. They are mailbox owners. They're actually end users within the Marine Corps. So they're consuming the IT services. 
The task force approach gives transparency to the other three stars who are also making decisions based on their particular mission set. And then it allows the three stars to give leadership to their one stars and kernels, et cetera, who's pushing out prioritization. And that transparency and prioritization, it gives you an opportunity to be laser focused on achieving the mission. You mentioned 0365. That was a mission. 0365 was about enabling teams so that we can all communicate in a more sophisticated manner, adding transparency, but also taking advantage of features that, you know, we spent a lot of money on. So we don't we don't want to not use the features that are available. Yes, change is hard and adopting is hard, but we got through it with a lot of training. We spent a lot of time with our partners, um, not just Microsoft, but taking advantage of the many training models out there and making sure we had instructional videos as well as instructional documents. So the adoption, I would say, went, went really well. But then we also had SharePoint Online. So SharePoint Online, we, we had tons of forms all over the place, Kansas City IT Center, uh, down at Camp Lejeune, all the different data centers that the Marine Corps has local to the bases. That was also part of SharePoint Online. That was Velocity. So the task force approach has cross-functional teams. Those team members are, are majors and, and enlisted Marines and civilians from every stakeholder that you can think of. So there's no longer a silo of saying, well, I don't, I don't know what IT is doing. I don't know what C4 is doing. I don't know what Marfor Cyber is doing. The conversation started to be, who's the point of contact for Task Force Phoenix? Who's the point of contact for Task Force NetMod? If you're an INL and then that major or that captain or that um, sergeant or lance corporal or even a, a, a Marine Corps civilian would say, oh, that's me. Here's what's happening. Here's the notes. Here's what we're doing. Here's the um, the pace that we're keeping. Here's the timeline because we don't do schedules. We give timelines, very event driven, not based on uh, schedule and budget. We don't you know. Um, so the task force allows you to adopt an agile mindset and the ability to fund in that manner. And to be totally honest with you, the ability to um, incrementally deliver value was more effective than waiting until everything is ready years and years later, only only to find out, well, now that technology is outdated and, you know, industries created something new. And so how do we continue to adopt? So that's the task force model that allows us to do that. I want to come back to incremental delivery later in our conversation because it's a super important topic to the overall cloud conversation. But um, just to uh, just to stick with Office 365 for a second, can you can you talk a bit more about how that's changed or improved mission effectiveness throughout the organization? I mean, it, it, it used to be, I think, that um, in the bad old days before you really could say that you have one network, you had a different email address when you deployed. I mean, that that's not necessarily just part of the Office 365 transition, but but how have actual on the ground impacts to Marines uh, come about through through migrations like this? So migrations like this allowed us to consolidate identities and federate. So you just talked about having multiple identities. You know, that's a large headache. You go from one team to another team and you have a totally different email address, but you need what you talked about or notes that you had or some type of meeting that was really important five months ago before you transitioned. So it allowed us to do um, identity and access management before the zero trust mandates of credentialing and, and access management occurred. So we had to have a different conversation about identity because you could no longer 
have multiple identities. Microsoft restricts you from doing so. So we had to have that conversation and we had to have that um, statistical design as well as a technical design and saying, how are we going to federate? Um, we had to make sure our certificates were in place. So there was that PKI. We, we improved there with PKI and certificates for our cat cars. And then the capability for the mailbox and storage capacity was very important. I mean, having general officers who receive emails and then there's a response that says this person can't receive emails, their inboxes exceeded. Well, now we're now we're affecting readiness. OK, and so the ability to increase capacity with O3CC5 mailbox was very valuable. Renata Spinks, the Marine Corps' assistant director for C4I, speaking with Federal News Network's Jared Serbu. Hear the entire interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash DOD Cloud Exchange. Hello and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and today I'm thrilled to be joined by Melissa Bradley, the founder and managing partner at 1863 Ventures, an investment company focused on bridging entrepreneurship and racial equity and accelerating new majority entrepreneurs from high potential to high growth. Additionally, Melissa is co-founder of Venture Back Eureka, a community where small businesses gain unprecedented access to the expertise needed to grow their businesses and has more than 20 years of entrepreneurship, investment, and leadership experience. Melissa, welcome and thank you for being here. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Who is the first person that you remember looking up to as a leader? And what was it about them that inspired you? So there are actually two people. Um, the first person personally was my mom. Uh, she was a single parent. And what I realized is that she was the leader of our household, but she was also the leader of our community. Um, she was a staunch advocate for children's rights in public schools, making sure that we got a quality education. She was a staunch advocate around rights for renters. Um, we were not in a financial position that we actually ever owned a home, uh, but she made sure that people who lived in various types of housing, we were in regular housing. The people who were in regular housing, public housing, she made sure that their rights were advocated for um, and really just always kind of looked out for, I'll, I'll use air quotes, the little guy, while although we were the little guy. Uh, and then I would say she was a huge advocate of older folks. Um, as part of her job, she worked during the week uh, in a full-time job and then cleaned houses on the weekend, but also took care of elderly folks and a staunch advocate for elderly rights. Um, so that was probably the, the first leader. And then I would say the second leader that really came about professionally was a woman named Crystal, Crystal Gaskins, uh, who actually ran a headhunting temporary firm that I ended up spending about a year at, but quickly realized that was not my calling. But in a world where you are constantly managing the powers that be that want to hire all these people and move people around and the folks who are sometimes in vulnerable positions and obviously seeking a job, she would always manage to treat everyone with the, with the ultimate respect. And part of the business was actually um, managing hotels and getting service workers to show up. And that's a tough job, right, to try to motivate people who barely are getting paid enough under not great conditions. Um, and so she taught me three things. She taught me how to be a motivator and that recognizing leadership is not mandating, but motivating. She taught me that leadership is not just reporting up, but also 
reflecting and supporting those who may be underneath you from a hierarchical structure. And she also taught me that leadership was not about money, uh, but it was about producing positive outcomes for whoever your customers were. And if you did that, then obviously the money would come. How would you describe your leadership style and how has that developed over the years? Hmm. I would describe it, hashtag work in progress. Um, it, it has evolved over the years, I think, two ways. One, uh, the more people I've been exposed to in leadership positions have certainly helped me pivot and make adjustments. And then certainly as my leadership roles have elevated and probably as the more people I've been responsible for has elevated. Uh, you know, certainly being managing partner and founder of 1863 Ventures, we manage a lot of people. We have actually tripled our staff this year. And so we went from three people to oh, actually 12 people plus and growing. Uh, and we went from a couple hundred members to almost 10,000 members. And that's a big deal. Um, I, so my leadership style has evolved in terms of more people that I have reporting to me. I think it's, I, I focus on autonomy. I focus, I'm, I'm very clear that my role is to help other people be successful. Uh, I do set very clear deadlines. I am try to do a good job of kind of projecting what is the overall mission and vision, what are the KPIs and OKRs that we need to hit. And then I feel like I need to get out the way. I need not be a micromanager. I need to recognize, particularly since COVID, that people have kids, they have lives, they have ways that they know how they perform best. And so we now have people who work for me all over the world. And as long as we meet our deliverables, I don't need to know that you're sitting in a cubicle or sitting at your computer from nine to five. Um, and that's because I've been at those nine to five jobs where I literally had nothing to do, but I knew I was told I had to be in the office. Uh, and it just seemed like a complete waste of time. And so I'm really laser focused on outcomes and productivity and advancing the vision and mission and not on what does it look like? Because I think a successful work looks different for everyone. And then I would say more externally, as we now have grown to lots of members and we have a social media presence and I talk to people, I'm mindful that the, the probably the most important from an external uh, perspective on my leadership is that I am mindful that I am modeling not just for myself, but particularly for other leaders and particularly Black women and certainly gay Black women, uh, you know, there are not a lot of us. Um, you know, you mentioned that I'm a co-founder of Eureka, so I'm fortunate enough to be in the first 30 or so Black women that have been supported through venture capital, which is a sad statistic, but for a different topic. And so I'm mindful that people are always watching me. And I would say that certainly as a Black woman, people are always watching you, not always for the better and cheering you on, but waiting for you to make a mistake and slip up. And so I'm mindful that when I step into a room or I show up somewhere, I'm not just representing Melissa Bradley and my immediate family. I'm representing all of my members and potentially sending a single effect of what other people are going to expect as Black women. And the final thing I would say that definitely has evolved since now that I'm over 50 uh, is that I feel a much greater freedom to say what's on my mind um, than I did before. And I, and I do that. I probably said what was on my mind before, but in a way that was reflective of my frustration and anger with the system. And now I say it with the, expect, with the level of calmness and the expectation that it's important that we are honest around what do Black communities experience? And to phrase it in a way not based on anger, but really using data. And so I would say I've consistently been a staunch advocate for Black and Brown communities, but has evolved from being very reactive and saying, well, don't do this and don't do that, to saying, 
Let me explain to you why I think it's important that we take this up and really letting the facts drive the discussion. Some of that probably comes from the fact that I've worked in two presidential administrations, and we all know that that just goes back and forth and oftentimes based on rhetoric and not fact. And having six kids in a world of social media, I think there's something, the the art of of conversation based on facts and data has devolved to uh, opinions and pundits. And, And I think that's a challenge around leadership because your job is not, in my mind to convince people but to inform people and allow them to make decisions for themselves i i saw you on a post uh, with a washington post um uh interview and it, it you were amazing and it, it's interesting to listen to you describe what you just said because i could see all of that reflected in how you responded there and um make one other quick uh comment about as a company grows, WEPA is growing as well. And you are so spot on. We have, as, as leaders, we have to let go and trust those people that work for us and empower them to do their job and then let them roll. And that's not always easy. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at Pluralsight.com vision. <coughs> Cough and cold season is here. Introducing Ricola Max Throat Care, Ricola's most powerful drop yet. It's the best of Swiss nature wrapped around a powerful liquid menthol center for maximum relief from your worst cough and sore throat. Maximum nature for maximum relief. Try the new Ricola Max now, available in the cold and cough aisle. It's in our nature. 